to This Grit and Grace Life, a podcast for strong women and those who want to be. From the boardroom to the bedroom, car lines to college, single, married, or single again, real talk for women embracing this grit and grace life. Let's get into it. Welcome to This Grit and Grace Life. I'm Darlene Brock. Hey girl, hey, I'm Julie Bender. Julie, do you know what? I just had the honor of giving my little granddaughter. Oh my gosh, I don't know, but you, it's just, you've got me thinking about you can get her whatever you want because that's what grandparents do. Absolutely. So (laughs) I bought her, you know, I own a Jeep. Well, I bought her a little pink electric, she can drive Jeep. Oh my goodness. Don't tell Lincoln. Yeah, I won't, I won't tell Lincoln, but I did it out of Yay. guilt because her mom, Chelsea, her whole life has wanted one of those and resented the fact that I didn't buy her one as a little girl. So I'm doing it now. Oh my goodness. Wait, she wanted a Jeep when she was little? No, she just wanted an electric Barbie car at the time. Oh, you probably were anti-Barbie, weren't you? I, can I was see that about anti, you. this thing cost $250. Yeah. I'm not going to buy that. Yeah. That's so funny. Well, at our house, we have been talking about how our son gets all the things, too many things, and we are officially not buying him any more things. I mean, you know, that's not going to work, but we are definitely trying to hold him off on things until his birthday. So it's still a a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, it is. It always is. Um, Well, the struggle is real, especially for all the mamas. So if you feel me, just take a page out of Darlene's book, (laughs) literally her book, (laughs) Raising Great Girls, Um, really shameless plug. But speaking about the struggle of being mom, have you seen the trend? Uh, We mamas, we love our graphic tees, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you seen the ones that say something like, mama needs some wine or namaste home and drink my wine? I have, actually. Yeah, it's kind of a trend that was not there when I was a young mother. Graphic tees are cute. And even some of those, you know, kind of make you chuckle. I've seen like tequila or te amo, like most recently, like Valentine's Day themed shirts. Um, And they're fun and funny. But we're kind of asking the question, maybe even on this episode is, is that really a funny line of thinking? Is there a joke here that maybe is inappropriate for us to be putting out there and encouraging. Yeah, for sure, Julie. And I think there's nothing wrong with drinking a glass of wine, but this whole premise means to function in life and to deal with being a mom, I need it. And I kind of hope that's not true. I think drinking in general has gone up in the last year across the board. Um, But the truth is, is the number of women who are drinking more heavily has steadily gone up over the last decade. And that's something that we want to talk about and maybe even unpack a little bit more on this episode. But we also want to just cause our friends to stop and think about, is that something that's happening to me? You know, this last season has been overwhelming for a lot of us. And are we looking to alcohol to help us cope in that? Or are we laughing off, um, you know, a dependence that we may have or worse, do we think we are, are um, you know, immune from becoming alcohol dependent because we're just making it through the day or mom is hard or pandemic life sucks, you know, yeah, for are, sure. we, are we taking that seriously? Well, and not only is there a rise in drinking, there actually is a rise in alcoholism among women that it's not just consumption, it's dependence. And that's kind of what we want to talk about today. We're bringing a guest to the show, and if you guys follow along at Grit and Grace Life, you may have already read her story. We'll be joined by Lindsay Insinius. She's a former corporate 
corporate meeting and event planner who has traveled the world with bright eyes her entire 20s. She's a fourth-generation Texan who apparently cheers the loudest for Oklahoma football. After graduating from Oklahoma, she got back to Texas as fast as she could, married her husband, and has had two kiddos. This bracelet-obsessed, cheese-loving mama is passionate about sharing her journey in hopes of helping other women, and I know she's going to do that today. Welcome, Lindsay. I am so glad that you've agreed to join us today. I think your story is something that we all need to hear. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be with you guys today. All right. Before we get into it, I I think it would be interesting for our listeners to know, we hear your bio. Julie just told us a little bit about you, but if they were to meet you on the street, what would they see, Lindsay? I think that people would see I'm a mom. I'm a regular mom. I listen to a lot of Fortnite stories. (laughs) I listen to changes in cheer routines. I listen to, you know, school projects. Um, So my first identity is mom. That's what I do most of my days. Um, That's where I get so much of my joy um, is from my kids. And so um, I'm just a regular mom. How many kids do you have, Lindsay? I have two. My oldest is a girl and she's 10. And my youngest, Mark, is a boy and he is six. Kind of coming off of what Darlene even just said about, you know, what what would you look like on the street? I mean, on paper, reading your bio, you wouldn't necessarily get a sense that you would be somebody as invested in your kids as you are and the busyness of, you know, mom life, wife life, all the things that you wouldn't be somebody who would struggle with alcoholism as you have told us that you have. And so can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what it was like falling into this struggle? Sure. Um, I think for me, I have a long family history of alcoholism Um, And that was something that we knew as we grew up. Um, We were around a lot of drinking. Um, My mom is from a big Catholic family. Um, We have a ton of cousins. We have a ton of fun. Um, But there's always drinking involved, Um, you know, whether it's a baptism or a birthday party or holidays, there's a lot of drinking involved. And I always knew growing up that I had family members that, had struggled with alcoholism, but that was, that was kind of as far as it, it was ever talked about. We didn't really talk about anybody going through rehab or going through um, any kind of an AA program or working the 12 steps. I mean, it was just that we knew um, that there was alcoholism that kind of lurked in the, in the dark spaces on both sides of my family. Um, But it was never really talked into detail all that much or what we should be looking towards in our future. Um, I had a long conversation with my brother about this um, just recently that as an adult, we were not prepped very well for what we should be looking at and how to handle, you know, certain situations or or things that we might be vulnerable um, to experience. And so... Um, growing up, I was always around alcohol. It was, that was never taboo or, or anything of the sort. Um, it was just always there. And so I went through life, um, thinking that that was, that was pretty normal that, you know, most families just did that. That's what we did. That's how you had fun. Um, I think that peeling back the layers over the last year has really, um, shined a light on, 
you don't have to have alcohol to have fun. But that was my interpretation growing up. Um, We had alcohol when it was fun and we had alcohol to cope with things that weren't fun. Um, And so it was just always there. And as I grew up, um, I had a very normal, so to speak, um, childhood. And I lost my father very unexpectedly my senior year of high school. And so I went off to college the following fall and just kind of started plowing through life. Um, I didn't really ever deal with his death. Um, And I just went on, so to speak, as a normal, you know, young 20-year-old person. Um, And my coping mechanism was alcohol. You know, I think historically we have looked at alcoholism as there's a certain person that looks this way and acts a certain way. And I think we've discovered that's not true, that, you know, you talked about growing up and your your family drank a lot, but to think back then at what an alcoholic, quote unquote, looked like, you thought they were like stumbling in the street or something, not that they were drinking in a social scenario that they were, you know, they they had this image, but we've discovered that's a little bit different than what the struggle really is. Am I right? Absolutely. Um, I think for my family, my grandfather on my mom's side um, was an alcoholic, but he was also World War II veteran. Um, He was a prisoner of war, um, held captive in Asia for nearly four years. When he came back from the war, he married my grandmother. They had seven children, and she died of breast cancer in her 30s. And so, you know, I knew he was an alcoholic, but it kind of in my young mind, it made sense. You know, he had been through so much. And mm-hmm. um, and so to me, an alcoholic, and, and it, by the time I was a young child, he was no longer drinking. So I never saw what he looked like mm-hmm. as an, al- you know, an alcoholic in an active state. Um, and so, yes, I think that our our thought process of what an alcoholic looks like would be maybe a bum under a bridge drinking out of a paper bag, you know, something like that. Not a normal functioning everyday person that gets up and goes to work or takes care of their kids. So yes, I think you're absolutely correct. Okay. So you mentioned you lost your father unexpectedly and that kind of took you down the road of turning to alcohol to cope with that grief. First of all, I just want to say, I'm sorry that you dealt with that. Um, I can't imagine what that would be like. And so did you have anyone in your life in that season that saw that you were doing that? Or do you think you were kind of, you know, your friends were just letting you cope however made sense for you? I think it was an interesting kind of perfect storm. Mm -hmm. I went off to a big university where there was a lot of drinking involved. Um, And so I don't think I necessarily looked any different than anyone else. Um, I think I didn't really identify at the time that I was drinking to cope with the loss of my dad. I knew that I had a lot of resentment for people's lives that looked different than mine. Um, But I didn't really, I didn't put two and two together that that's what was happening. And I think in my family life, we were all just doing the best we could to survive. You know, we, I mean, we were taking care of each other the best we could, but I, I wouldn't place any blame on, you know, my brother or my mom for not, you know, seeing what was, what was starting 
to happen um, in my road of alcoholism. It just, it seemed fairly normal for, for where I was in life and what was going on around me. Now, Lindsay, I believe you lost your father to suicide, as I know our listeners know I did as well. And I know in my family, everyone coped with that a little bit differently. We all sometimes dealt with it well, sometimes didn't, sometimes hid it. You know, we, we, we approached it differently. It affected us in different ways. Is that the same in your family? Oh, absolutely. It was a very difficult time. I was a I was a teenager. I was 17. And, um, and at the time I didn't, I wasn't able to identify that he suffered from alcoholism. That didn't seem to be, I knew he was a heavy drinker. Um, but that wasn't, you know, it wasn't problematic as far as uh, the day to day. It's not that he suffered so, um, severely from alcoholism that he took his life. Um, his, his mental health, declined rapidly. And at the time it was in the nineties and, um, men didn't seek as much help for mental health, um, issues and struggles. Uh, I think, I think it's still evolving, you know, rapidly today, but in those times, um, a 50 year old man just really didn't, didn't, um, didn't didn't have problems. (laughs) No, they yeah. were supposed to, yeah, my father died at this at the same age. And at that age, they were supposed to be the caretakers, the strong ones, the, you know, there were things that the expectations that were on them that um, they didn't have a chance to cry out and say, I can't be that strong. Yeah. I can't be that person that I think I'm ne- I need to be and sometimes make that choice. But it did have an impact on your life that led you down this road, correct? Right. Absolutely correct. So you go through college, I assume, continuing to struggle with this. But like you said, it kind of blended in with the college scene. And it's definitely, you know, kind of an era where a lot of people maybe are drinking more heavily than they maybe do, you know, in other parts of their life. So tell me when it occurred to you that this was truly a problem in your life. I finished college and then moved back um, to Dallas uh, shortly after got married. Um, so I was 24 when I got married and, uh, you know, started my career life. I was traveling a whole lot for work, um, kind of living a, a true dream. Um, my husband was able to join me on several trips. We traveled around the world. Uh, I worked hard. We played hard. Um, it was my twenties was a great time, and I didn't see any problem with my drinking at that time. Um, I was, you know, I was working. I wasn't missing work. I wasn't reprimanded at work. Nothing in my life was falling apart by, you know, any stretch. Everything seemed very normal to my peers, to my coworkers. Um, I was kind of doing everything that everybody else around me was doing, and it didn't feel or seem problematic. Um, And then as I got into my late 20s, I quit my job traveling. Um, We were ready to start a family and and we just didn't have the help to allow me to continue to travel at the rate that I was traveling and, you know, welcome a baby into our family. So at that time, I I quit work and Julia was born um, in 2010. I was 29 years old. And 
I kind of at that time when I can reflect back, I lost my sense of self. I lost identity. Um, I can remember, I can remember my mom coming over after Julia was born and she was like, you know, you've got to figure out what you're going to like put on every day. You can't just sit here, you know, in your pajamas all day. You'll feel terrible because I was, I was suffering from what am I doing? You know, I don't, I don't have a plane ticket to go anywhere. I'm sitting here with this newborn baby. I'm, I don't know what in the world I'm doing. I don't know who I am anymore. Um, and I thought, yeah, you know, she's right. I, I need to figure out what, what does this look like now? What do I get up and put on every day? If it's not a suit, what is it? Um, and I just remember thinking like, who am I? And, um, but you know, you, you keep going. You think this is what every new mom goes through is, is this identity confusion about, you know, what you've left kind of your past life behind and you're, you're going into something new. And shortly after that, we moved out of Dallas into the suburbs and I really didn't know many people, you know, in, in the town where we moved. Um, I hadn't made a lot of friends, you know, I didn't have, all my other friends didn't have kids necessarily yet. I did have a few friends um, in my neighborhood, but their kids were a little bit older. So they weren't in the same exact, you know, time frame as me. Um, and so then I just started the stay at home mom life. And that's when kind of things started moving quickly with drinking. We were drinking during play dates. We were having mimosas, you know, while the kids, you know, played and that seemed normal. And then as kids got into sports, it was, you know, you put different things in your Yeti cup and, and you kind of keep going. And then, you know, someone asks you to go to lunch and you go to lunch and you drink wine because you don't have to go back to work. You know, no one's telling you you can't. And so um, that's what we did for a long time. Um, we, we drank a lot, not every day, but we drank a lot. And, and again, it was kind of, I was doing the same things that everyone around me seemed to be doing. Um, so it didn't seem abnormal to, to, a, to an extent. And so it wasn't until in the recent years that I could identify that I couldn't stop. You know, when we would start drinking in the mornings, afternoons, I wouldn't stop um, until it got until it got bad. Do you think for you it was? And I think this is true of a lot of women, Lindsay. Your your story, I don't believe, is in a void. I think there are a lot of women who find themselves in this place and need to hear your story so they can recognize their own. But do you think by your the volume of your drinking, was it a way to try to go, I'm okay right now, I'm actually functioning in this world, and where I'm at is, is good and I can deal? Or what do you think the emotions were behind that? I think it was, um, it was a way to fit in. It was a way to do what other moms were doing. It was a way, um, it was a lifestyle that I didn't plan on, but it was, it was our way of life. And it, and it made me feel a part of something. It made me feel like I had other mom friends. Um, it kind of made me feel a part of this culture of, you know, we go out to lunch, we have wine, we, we do play dates. We're doing all the things for our kids that we're supposed to be doing, um, but inside it's, it was an empty feeling. Um, there was, there was not a lot of self-worth. I didn't feel very proud of much. Um, and I think at that time, you know, my husband was, 
knee deep in his career. And he was focused on that. By that time, we had two kids and we were both just kind of getting through the days. We were doing what we were supposed, what we thought we were supposed to be doing as far as our social life, our church life, our career life for him, um, you know, for our kids, you know, we were checking all the boxes, but we weren't doing anything all that fulfilling. Um, and so we were just kind of making it through the days. There was very little joy And I think we didn't know what to expect in this life. You know, when your kids are little and you're, you're just kind of trying to get some sleep and and keep going, it all of a sudden occurred to us, you know, this is our one life that we have and just making it through the days and just getting by. I mean, that it's just so unfulfilling. And I, I think that there's so much more to life and, and we just kind of got caught up in the vortex of this heavy drinking culture. And, and for some people that might work. If you're an alcoholic, it doesn't work. (laughs) It falls flat very quickly. So you just said, if you're an alcoholic, do you remember when you realized that you were an alcoholic? I do. I, um, I hit rock bottom for me and I asked a dear friend for help. Um, she came in with some other friends and, and got me the help that I needed. And I went and stayed in a two week, um, it's called a social detox program where it's not exactly rehab, so to speak, but it's a two week program, um, based on the 12 steps. And it was the biggest blessing for me. Um, it gave me a chance to pause and reevaluate. But at the time that I got there, which has been almost a year ago today, um, I did not recognize myself as an alcoholic. Um, I knew I had a drinking problem because I knew I was very kind of put off by the dry January um, and things like that. And it was because I couldn't do it. Um, I couldn't go a full month without drinking. It, it controlled so much of my mind, whether I was drinking or whether I wasn't drinking, it consumed my thought process. Not in the sense of I have to have a drink to, to be able to function, but it consumed me in that if I wasn't drinking on a Monday or Tuesday, I was so proud of myself. Um, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, I've gone two whole days without drinking. This is amazing, you know, and, and very, um, unrealistic, um, goal setting was going on in my mind, but I had no idea that how far off the regular path of a regular drinker that was. And so it wasn't until a few days in to, um, that detox program that I realized that I was powerless, um, to alcohol and that it, it was unmanageable for me. So you started the process, Lindsay, what, what was one of the most difficult things in the road to recovery? I think the most difficult idea was that I would never drink again. Um, that seemed so foreign. I can remember sitting at, um, the meeting table in the meeting room at the Magdalene house thinking, how will I ever have fun again? How will I ever go to dinner and watch people drink and have any kind of fun? I I just, I could not wrap my mind around a birthday party, a celebration, something hard 
coming into my life, a struggle, a death, a lot. I could not wrap my mind around not having that coping mechanism next to me. Um, I had no idea how fulfilling this side of life would be, but I think the hardest part was the initial, you know, identification that I wasn't, I was going to live my life without drinking. And I just, that was so hard to overcome. I know you talk a little bit more in the article you wrote for us, um, for Grit and Grace Life about, you know, kind of that moment of deciding to go into this treatment program um, that you're talking about. But what is it like now that you've been through the program and now, like you said, you're living life with that sense of fulfillment that doesn't come from the drinking, um, what, what's been, um, kind of the most eye-opening and life-changing part of being alcohol-free? It is truly the biggest blessing. I will say, um, you know, I thought it was going to be so inhibiting to not drink and it's actually so beautiful. It's so neat to think, I don't have to worry about if we're going to go out on Friday night for someone's big birthday party that I'm going to feel sluggish on Saturday morning. Um, I don't plan my life anymore around around drinking. I don't have to worry about, am I going to drink too much? Am I going to make a fool of myself? Am I going to you know, not drink too much and feel incredibly proud of myself? It's just a non-issue. It's just not there anymore. And my life truly sparkles without alcohol. It's, it is the most beautiful surprise that I completely did not expect on this side of it. Um, it has just been the most beautiful journey. It's been eye opening. It, 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 now it's just gone. It's just not a thing. I just don't, it, I don't think about it. I don't revolve my life around it. I don't plan around it. Um, it's just not there. You know what I find ironic, Lindsay, in in my life years ago, I decided I was going to become alcohol free for all of my own reasons. But what I found interesting is when I would go to dinners with music business people or friends or lunches or whatever, and I didn't drink part of that $2,000 bottle of wine, they thought I was out of my ever loving mind what was wrong with me. And they were so upset with me for not consuming with them. Have you found that to be true? A little bit. I think that, um, you know, I was, I, I mean, I hate to say I was the life of the party. I don't think I was the life of the party, but so much of my identity was drinking. I was, I mean, I was always the friend that was always up for happy hour or, you know, wine with pedicures or, you know, I mean, we always had alcohol, at our house when people would come over for dinner or, I mean, it was just always present. And so I think people have had a hard time kind of understanding that I'm still me and I'm still fun. Um, I don't like to stay out as late. <laughs> I like my pajamas and my bed much earlier than I used to. Um, but I'm still fun and I'm still me and I'm still everything that I was without a glass of wine in my hand. And so there have been friendships that, um, I just don't know that they know exactly what to do. Um, they tend to invite me for coffee instead of for dinner. And, you know, I just remind them, I, I still go to dinner. I still eat dinner, you know, at seven <laughs> o'clock. So I can still do that with you. Um, and it doesn't bother me. I think people want to be respectful 
and they don't want to not drink around me because they know that makes me feel uncomfortable, but they don't know if they should drink in front of me. So it's just been kind of a little bit of a dance. Um, and I think this year especially has been difficult because, you know, we, we can't all be together all the time, you know, due to the pandemic. And so it has been, it's, it's been trial and error, um, you know, of how this kind of works socially. Um, so yeah, it, you know, and people, they do, I agree with you. They, they do get a little bit fidgety when you don't, you know, consume their nice bourbon or their wonderful bottle of wine. Um, but it doesn't bother me. Um, I think that sometimes people can see themselves in the mirror a little bit when I'm around. And I think it makes them question their own behavior. And I think that that can make them uncomfortable more so than me not drinking makes them uncomfortable. I would be curious, what has it been like in your marriage? Does your husband still drink? Was he struggling with drinking too much before this? Did he notice that you were? Can you talk to me a little bit about how it affected your marriage? Absolutely. We were both, um, I mean, obviously I was a heavy drinker um, and he was a heavy drinker too. Um, and so when I went to Maggie's and and came home and got well, he committed to doing it with me. Um, he didn't commit to quitting drinking completely. Um, but he committed to stand beside me. He committed to when we go out with friends, I will not let you do this alone. Um, it's been the most, you know, the neatest, most rewarding year that we have built together. Um, we've been so intentional with our time and, and where we spent so much time drinking together, we didn't really realize that that's that's what we did. But in our past time, you know, that's how we would catch up on, you know, his work day and my day was drinking together. And so that has all changed completely. Um, you know, he's still, if he goes to a work function where they're having drinks, he might have a drink. Um, so he hasn't completely gone down the road that I have gone down. Um, but our, our life has changed dramatically on just eliminating drinking from our day to day when we're together. Um, and so we've really, we've dived so much deeper into our, our goals and our conversation and what we wish for our future. So he has been right alongside with me. All right. So we've heard your story, Lindsay, and you know, it's, it's inspiring. It's, it's challenging. It's, it's thought provoking, but it is inspiring too. What would you like our listeners to learn from what you've learned from the road that you've traveled? I just really want women to find real connections. Um, I think what I have seen through, you know, my article with Grit and Grace, especially, is so many women have reached out to me just thanking me for the connection. You know, the, we don't all struggle with alcohol but we struggle with something and we want to connect with other women that understand that we want to see that, that we shine light in, in different ways in different areas, but we want to connect. And I think that I, what we all need to be able to do is to reevaluate where we spend our time and where our point and purpose in this life is and whatever is inhibiting that, whether it's alcohol or, you know, your job, whatever that is in the way of keeping you focused on your point and purpose, take a look and reevaluate. But there's hope that there is so much joy out there. 
there really is so much joy and love and light and whatever is in front of you that's causing any kind of issue with you getting there, just reevaluate and realign. Thank you so much for being willing to share the hard things. I'm sure that this is still not easy to talk about. Well, I thank you guys so much for having me on. And I was a joy and an honor to share. You know, like Lindsay, we all have our challenges. They can look entirely different, the struggles that we face. But the reality is where we are today in our struggle does not mean that's where we will be. It's not where we have to stay. It's not what we have to surrender to. It's what we have to be able to move on from, find the strength and courage to face it and get to the other side. I strongly want to encourage you, if you haven't yet had a chance to read her article where she goes even more in depth to her story and how she's found the recovery she's experiencing now, I will make sure to link that in the show notes. This episode is one you're going to want to share with a friend, and that article is definitely one you're going to want to share with a friend. Before we close it up, I want to share with you this Winston Churchill quote. He said, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. We'll catch you next time on This Grit and Grace Life. Make sure you're subscribed to the show so you're here with us next week. We're going to be bringing you a fun show full of words of wisdom that you definitely need for your grit and grace life. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Grit and Grace Life podcast brought to you by The Grit and Grace Project. Whether you're listening in Apple, Spotify, or streaming somewhere else, be sure to subscribe and review so you never miss an upcoming episode. You can also share this episode with a friend you think might enjoy living a grit and grace life with us, or share us in your social media and tag us. Every week, we share all the details of what we discussed at our website, gritandgracelife.com. We'll catch you on the next one.